The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Go ahead and turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. All right, well, this morning we discussed our identity in Christ. And uh, we looked at, we were reminded of who we are. And uh, not, our, our identity is not uh, based upon what we do for a living or, or what, we, what our nationality may be. But who we are, our identity is identified by our position in Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we were reminded that we are children of God. And of course there were several descriptions given to us as God's children, which we saw this morning. We're a king, we're a priest, we're joint heirs with Christ, and all these things are, are part of who we are and what God has, has ordained and purposed in our lives. We are no longer children of darkness. We're no longer children of this world. We are children of the Father. We are children of God. And as such, we are to live as God's children. We're to walk worthy uh, of Christ. So I began this two-part study this morning by looking at the inward evidences of our identity. And I'm not going to belabor that, and I'm not going to uh, revisit everything we talked about this morning. Uh, but tonight, I, I would like to consider, number two, the outward evidence of our identity. The inward evidences we discussed this morning are those proofs that only you can see. The inward evidence in your life, no one else sees that. Only you see that. And, and, and they are there for your assurance for your benefit and your assurances of salvation. The outward evidence, however, are the proofs of our identity that others can see. However, we must remember that these outward evidences are still the product of the righteousness of Christ and not our, of ourselves. So, we, there, are, there are outward evidences that, that identify us as children of God. However, these are not works that we produce. These are, these are works that are produced by the righteousness of Christ, which dwells within us. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, we read, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So the, the righteousness that we possess as part of our outward evidence is not produced by our own, by our own merit, by our flesh, by our own works, but by the righteousness of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Just as it is concerning the inward man, 
So it also is concerning the outward evidences of our salvation. Now, we must be careful. Uh, We must be so careful here not to mistake the doing of works as justification or as evidence of justification. Uh, Without works, without true faith and repentance are vain works and will not bring salvation. So look with me at James chapter 2, and we'll begin reading at verse number 14, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? Now, of course, at, 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 a, at a first reading of that verse, we would say, yes, faith saves. But James is going much deeper here, and we'll explain all of that as we go along. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now again, these verses at, at first glance can be a bit contradictory and confusing, but we'll, we'll iron them out here in just a moment. Verse number 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, And it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So, I've had people argue with me and say, well, those verses are are contradictory to what you're saying. Uh, James is saying faith alone can't save. There has to be works with it. And that's not what James is saying. That's not at all what James is saying. Uh, Look at verse 14, for instance. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? There are plenty of men uh, who claim to have faith. There are Roman Catholics claim to have faith, don't they? How many of you are associated with, or you know, you, you were Catholic or you have Catholic family, huh? Don't they claim to have faith? Of course they do. Uh, Mormons claim to have faith. Jehovah Witnesses claim to have faith. However, regeneration and repentance precede faith. Therefore, a faith without regeneration is not faith at all. 
you and I could not possibly express faith unless we were first regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We were dead and we must be made alive. And when we are quickened by the Spirit and we are, we are, uh, the truth is revealed to us and God has, gives us the measure of faith, we then repent and believe. Amen? Anybody disagree with that timeline? We are, we are regenerated. Are, we are quickened and made alive. Then we repent and we are, we are uh, born again. We are regenerated. Look at verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Well, what is he saying there? Well, he's, what, what he's saying here is the evidence isn't faith. It is the compelling works which are produced because of faith. Faith without accompanying works is, is phony faith. It's dead. So it's not, the evidence here isn't faith. Uh, the evidence is the compelling works that accompany the faith. I don't do the things I do because I want to be faithful. I do the things I do because I, I possess faith and the faith compels me to live my life to the glory of God the Father and in obedience to his word. Look at verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Oh, listen, I, I, don't, I don't think for one moment that there is a Roman Catholic walking the face of this earth that doesn't believe in God. I know they believe in God. Absolutely, they believe in God. But consider that Satan... And all of his minions also believe in God. Perhaps more, even more than we do. Because Satan has actually seen God. I've never seen God, have you? I've never seen Jesus Christ, have you? Well, Satan has. And, and he believes in God probably more than we do. However, it's not a profitable belief. Because it's not accompanied by faith. There's no faith there. So I've known many, many men who have works. Lots of works. But not through faith. They seek their own glory in their works. They seek to elevate themselves before men. These desire the accolades of men. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. We read, therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their rewards. And there are so many men today in our nation and in our churches 
who seek to have the praise of men. And they do, they do all these works. I know, I know a man came to this church oh, probably 20 years ago. 25 years ago, maybe. No, not that. Yeah, maybe that long. But he came to this church and he wanted to be a deacon. And he wanted to be a deacon, so he started getting involved in all kind of things and started doing all kind of things and, and was, was doing all these things because he wanted men to see him and he wanted to be recognized for, for his efforts. But there was a problem in this man's life, and I'm not going to go into it, but there was a problem in this man's life that disqualified him from being uh, eligible to be a deacon. And as soon as he found out that he could not be a deacon, he went bye-bye. We never saw him again. Because he wasn't sincerely trying, he wasn't interested in serving God the Father, he wasn't interested in glorifying God, he was interested in glorifying his own flesh. And we've seen them, haven't we? We see them come and go on the TV. The evangelists, the big name guys who, who, who want you to believe that they're so righteous and they're so holy and they're so great. And they, 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 they draw crowds. You know, people love to be lied to. People love to be lied to. And they, 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 they draw great crowds and, and they, they gather people's money. But then, like most chaff, they go away with the wind. And we've seen it before. These men want the chief seats. Matthew chapter 23, we read, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogue and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Oh yes, these men... These men want to be the most important around. And we see it all the time. So, we see lots of outward works. We see a lot of that around our country and in our churches. So we must qualify these outward evidences. And understand that were it not for God and his grace, none of us would be saved. None of us could do anything of any usefulness to God. None of us could do anything of profit for the work of the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I read this verse this morning. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And Paul said, I am what I am because of the grace of God. And we must begin there when we start to qualify these outward, um, these outward evidences that we look at. Were it not for the new creature we spoke about this morning, our outward works and expressions of faith would be of no profit to either God the Father nor you. So, I would like to take a few moments and expound upon two outward evidences. Two outward evidences. Number one, on your study sheets, the witness of our walk. 
the witness of our walk. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, notice the word used in this first verse, the word vocation. In context, this would be synonymous with the word summons. In other words, by virtue of our redemption, we have been summoned and fitted for service by God the Father. So what, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, I, I, would have you, I would have you live your life worthy of the summons that you've received, of the calling that you have received from God the Father. We have been called to be his ambassadors, have we not? Scripture says that we are ambassadors for Christ. So we do that. One of the ways we do that is by projecting a life that is seen by others that is worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could not carry out this calling were it not for the truth that God has outfitted us for service. Much the same way a soldier is trained and equipped to carry out his calling as a soldier. Uh, I was in the military. I know some of you here were in the military. Uh, Brother Gary very reluctantly remembers his uh, military services, I'm sure. <laughs> We've spoken before. And, um, you know, Uncle Sam is pretty good. He's pretty good about outfitting his, his troops. Uh, you know, the military doesn't, they don't tell you, okay, uh, go up, before you come, bring, bring, a, bring a rifle, uh, bring some, some old clothes that you don't mind getting dirty, and get a good pair of boots, a good pair of shoes. Oh, you might want to find a bulletproof helmet if you can find one, and a bulletproof vest would be handy to have. No, they don't do that. Matter of fact, when we got to boot camp, we had to strip down our skivvies. We couldn't take anything in with us. I mean it. I'm serious. They made us strip all the way down and took us to the base exchange and they gave us everything we needed, including a haircut. Even though we didn't all want one, we got one. And we all looked the same. I don't know how they told us apart other than the name on our, on our uniform because we all looked the same. We all had skinheads. And it was, it was quite a sight to see. But they gave us everything. They, gave us, they, they outfitted us completely. They assigned us a weapon. And uh, you, you, grew to, you grew to know that weapon quite well. And they gave you everything you needed for service. And, and so it is with the Lord. He has called us. He has summoned us to service. And he equips us. He outfits us. He gives us everything we need. He gives us faith. The Lord gives us the measure of faith. The Lord empowers us. 
He gives us the ability to, to, to serve him and to do the things that he's called us to do. And, and God equips us. So the witness of our walk, we're to, we're to walk worthy of this vocation that we've been called. And, and Paul refers to particular aspects of this walk. He says that we are to walk with humility and submission. Letter A on your study sheet, with humility and submission. First Peter chapter 5, Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Yes, we're to walk with humility and submission. Um, I, used to, I used to tell my students in school, have you noticed God gave you two ears and one mouth? That means you should listen twice as much as you speak. And we need to learn to be humble and to listen. Now, you know, I don't think I know it all. I really don't. Matter of fact, I know I don't know it all. If you think I know it all, then I've succeeded at projecting that I'm a know-it-all. But uh, the truth is, I don't know it all. But I know more than some of you. And sometimes, the, most, the best thing we can do is to be quiet and listen. To be humble and to submit ourselves to the wisdom of those that the Lord has put over us. Your pastor the deacons in the church. Listen to the elders. You know, the, the Bible says the hoary head has wisdom. Uh, and, and that's a true statement. So look to the gray head, young man. Look to the gray head. Have you ever heard the old saying, every man is my teacher? You ever heard that? Uh, I've heard that saying many times growing up. Every man is my teacher. And I believe this is true. To some degree, every man has something to teach. Sometimes it's good lessons. Sometimes it's not so good lessons. But every man has something to teach. And you just have to learn to listen. And, and to, to, to weigh the information. Proverbs thirteen twenty: He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Uh, for many years, we had a school here, and one, one day I was walking across, I, I left the high school classroom over there, I was walking across the auditorium, and Andrew, how many of you remember Andrew? Andrew jumped up and ran over and started walking lockstep with me across the auditorium. And I looked at him and said, what are you doing? He said, well, Brother Abshaw, the Bible says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. So I was walking with you so I can be wise. I said, well, yeah, you're already a wise guy. Go sit down. <laughs> this humble and submissive walk will appeal to those around us. And it will witness to those around you that you are different than the others they know. Now, certainly, this is not to replace our witness of the gospel. But it does demonstrate that peculiar uh, that peculiar nature we spoke about this morning. Remember this morning the scripture said we are a peculiar people. 
which means we are strikingly different or remarkable is actually the, the, the proper translation of, of peculiar people. It's remarkable people. God has made us remarkable people. And, and we need to conduct our life such that people look at us and they see that peculiarity. They, they see that remarkable character. They, they see that strikingly different attitude. And that's so important. We must walk with humility and patience, but also let her be. Our walk is to be with patience and kindness. In Ephesians chapter 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We're to walk with patience and kindness. Now, I don't know whether I've developed more patience and kindness as I've grown older or I'm just too tired to fight and argue anymore. I'm not sure, I'm not sure which it is. But I've noticed that, and my wife has even noticed this, as I've gotten older, she said, you're so much more patient than you used to be. Well, like with my grandkids. She said, you're so patient with those boys. My son said, yeah, you would have never let us get away with all of that. And I tell them, well, I, again, I, I, I'm just too tired to fight anymore. And that and number two, they have to go home somewhere else. I don't have to keep them here. But patience and kindness. We live in an instant world today. High speed Internet. Wow. Nowadays, as your finger just before it touches the power button, everything comes on. You ever notice that? It's lightning fast. I remember in 19, when was it? 1991, I believe it was, or 92, we had, a, we had an old computer in the office there. I used to come in, I'd turn it on. I'd go in the kitchen, make a cup of coffee, fry an egg, toast some bread, have breakfast, wash the dishes, go back in the office, and it was still booting up. But we, we, that's not fast enough anymore, is it? No, 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 no. If, if you're comp- Nowadays, if our computer takes more than five seconds to boot up, what's wrong with this thing? We live in such an instant world. Bullet trains, supersonic transport, microwave ovens. And all this speed has caused us to become impatient. And this impatience has crept into every aspect of our life. And further, this impatience has caused us to treat people with impatience. I see this all the time in my, in, at my place of work. I see people so impatient with one another, treating each other so poorly. And, and this all stems from a, a society of hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And we lack the patience You know, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And we need to learn to conduct our lives with patience and and with kindness. Just think about how patient God is with you. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever really stopped and thought about how much you must tax the, the, the patience of God? He is so patient with us, isn't he? 
Sometimes I think, God, how can you put up with me? I, I couldn't put up with me. No way. I would have never. Listen, I'm glad God was in charge of salvation because I would have never saved someone like me. Ever. But God is so patient and so kind and so forgiving and so loving towards us. So given this, how patient should we be with each other? And this patience reflects in our life. And it becomes evident to those around us. And this kind of patience that I'm talking about can only come from the Spirit of God. It can only come from God's Spirit. So we're to walk with patience and kindness. Thirdly, letter C, we're to walk with peace and understanding. Peace and understanding. Romans chapter 12, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I know that the scripture admonishes us to contend for the faith. However, I don't think the intent of that verse is to have us go around like bullies and encourage contention. We're to contend for the faith. We're to stand for truth. We're to stand up for the faith. And we are to uh, argue, not fight, but we are to argue for righteousness. We're not to succumb. We're not to, we're not to placate. We're not to yield to unrighteousness. We are to contend for the faith. But that, again, we're to do it peaceably. What kind of witness does our life give if we are quarrelsome and contentious in our dealings with those around us? Uh, I, I, think, I, think, I think when people become angry and, and become contentious, to me it shows a, that, they don't, that they have a lack of confidence in their own beliefs. You know that? If you firmly know what you believe, I, I, I firmly believe my doctrine, and I don't, get shook, I don't get shaken up, and I don't become angry when someone comes at me uh, to attack my doctrine. Because I, I know whom I have believed, and, he, and, believe, and know that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I have confidence in my faith. I know my Savior, and nothing shall shake me. Nothing shall move me. So we react with kindness, and we act, we react in love. We stand for truth, and we are firm. But we do so with peace and understanding. So we're to walk worthy of the, of the summons by God to be a witness unto him, living with humility and submission, living with patience and kindness, and walking with peace and understanding. So first we see the witness of our walk. But then secondly tonight I want us to look at the witness of our wisdom. The witness of our wisdom. We're talking now about the outward evidences of our identity as a child of God. So we walk as a child of God. We conduct our lives. We, we live worthy 
of, of the calling that we've received from the Lord. Not, not indulging in, in lustful pleasures, not indulging in, in the flesh, but walking and living, as we said, in, in, in humility and submission, patience and kindness, peace and understanding. But then next, we see the outward, the outward evidence of the witness of our wisdom. We're in, you should be in James. Let's go to James chapter 3. And let's look beginning at verse number 13. We read here, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. There's that word wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The world's wisdom seeks to satisfy the sensual side of man. It is founded in darkness and is the wisdom of the devil. It produces envy and strife. It breeds confusion in the heart and the minds of men. It is the root of every evil work in this world. However, this outward evidence given to every child of God is in stark comparison to the wisdom of this world, to the wisdom of natural man. James described this godly wisdom in verse 17. He said first, letter A on your study sheets, it is pure. It is pure. And by that, it means there's no malcontent. There's no ulterior motives in this wisdom. You see, often men jockey in their positions and they use reasoning that tends to lean in their favor. And they try to take advantage of situations by manipulating truth. But the wisdom which descends from above, from God, is pure. It's pure in its motive. It's pure in its nature. It's pure in its intent. Proverbs chapter 1, we read, To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge, and discretion. And that passage in Proverbs perfectly describes godly wisdom. God's wisdom has no hidden agenda. It simply seeks to instruct the child of God. It is pure in its intent and purpose. But then James, secondly, defined this wisdom as peaceable. Letter B, it is peaceable. Hebrew, uh, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 12. We read, he that is void of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth 
his peace. So godly wisdom teaches us to dwell at peace. It, 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 it instructs us in, in, in the manners of peace. And teaches us to hold our tongue. Do you know, you don't need to share everything you know. You know that? Some things are better just forgotten. Some things are better just unsaid. And while, while we're on this subject, let me, let me offer you a word of encouragement. Don't share your problems with people that cannot help you resolve them. If somebody can't help you fix the problem, why are you going to tell them about it? All they're going to do is turn around and go tell somebody else about it. Oh, do you know what I heard? Oh, did you hear this about so-and-so? And the problem grows, gets bigger. Learn to be peaceable. If someone comes to you and, and, and shares something with you and you don't know how to help them, tell them, listen, I, I don't know how to help you with this problem. But I, I, do know, I do know who can help you, and that's the Lord. Let's go to the Lord and pray about it. And then when you've done that, forget about it. Bury it deep and don't ever repeat it. Be peaceable. Learn to hold your tongue. That's what, that's what Proverbs, that's what Solomon is saying. He that is void of wisdom despises his neighbor. And, and what he means by despises his neighbor, he's talking about slandering him. Learn to be quiet. You made me lose my place. Oh, here it is. God's wisdom will always promote and impart a peaceable, a peaceful resolution to every matter in life. Next, godly wisdom, letter C, is attainable. It's attainable. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Listen, godly wisdom is, is attainable to every child of God. All you have to do is ask. But ask for the right reasons. Ask with the right motives. You know, James said, you, 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 you ask and have not because you ask amiss. Sometimes we pray to God to give us things, and it's almost like we think we can deceive God into giving us what we want, because he doesn't really know what we want to do with it. He knows what we want to do with it. And, and if we come to him with a peaceable attitude and we ask him for godly wisdom so that we can, we can glorify him in all that we do, he will impart that wisdom to you. May not be, he may not zap you with some laser beam from out of heaven. He might, he might impart that wisdom to you through a pastor. Or maybe through a trusted counsel in the church, a friend in the church who, who you go to and, and God imparts wisdom to you through them. But it is attainable. The wisdom of God is never farther away than a simple prayer. Next, letter D, it is pleasant. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 17. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. And in this Proverbs, 
Solomon is talking about wisdom. He says, wisdom ways are ways of pleasantness, and wisdom's path are peace. One must understand here that God defines pleasantness different than one may think. You know, what God considers pleasant might not, might not be what you consider pleasant or what I consider pleasant. Because we look at things differently than the Lord. We look at everything as to how it benefits us. We look at everything as to how it affects us. God looks at everything as to how it affects his will and his purpose. I don't understand why some things happen. I really don't. But God does. And God understands and knows all things. The Bible says God knew our, our ending from our beginning. God knows all things. And all things work according to his will. So when, when the Lord talks about being pleasant, that's not necessarily going to mean pleasant for you. Do you think it was pleasant when Daniel got cast into the den of lions? Do you think it was pleasant when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fiery furnace? No. Those, do you think it was pleasant when our, when our precious Savior sacrificed his life on Calvary? Now, to you and I, that's not pleasant, but to God it was. It was a sweet-smelling savor in the, in the nostrils of God. And he was pleased, well-pleased with these things. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm 116. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Death isn't precious to us, but it is to the Lord. Because he knows the end of, the, of, of all things. We might not consider things such as Joseph's slavery, Israel's bondage, Moses' wilderness wanderings, Daniel's trip to the lion's den, or the Hebrew children in the front. We may not consider those things to be pleasant. However, sometimes the wisdom of God will lead us into situations similar to these. And it is in these times that we must not think that God has forsaken us. In fact, in times like these, we are to rejoice and trust in the Lord. And then letter E, God's wisdom is described as equitable. Equitable. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 33. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. God gives wisdom to all his children. He will not withhold it from us. It is not a product of behavior. God doesn't withhold wisdom because you've been misbehaving. When, when do you need wisdom more than when you're not where you ought to be? God does not withhold wisdom from us. God's wisdom is equitable. It is equal to all. It is available to all. And it is freely given to all his children. Now, of course, there, there are other outward evidences of our salvation. And perhaps at other times we'll be able to share some, some of those thoughts. 
But uh, unfortunately, tonight I'm out of time. So we're going to have to close this. These evidences that we've discussed today, the inward evidences and the outward evidence, not only give you assurance of your positional status in Christ, but they also serve to identify you as a child of God to some of those around you. So I'll leave you tonight. Let's turn to Second Peter, if you would. We'll leave on a note of scripture. Second Peter. And we'll go to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter, chapter 1. And we'll read verses 2 through 8 together. I'll read them and you read along silently. Beginning at verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, uh, of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I could preach for a hundred years and try to phrase a message better than the, the seven verses we just read. And I would fail miserably. What great truth we've just read. If you ever doubt why you're doing all these things you're doing. If you ever feel like, why, why do I need to go through all these things? Just stop and read this passage of scripture. And just see God's formula for success. The marks of a believer. The inward evidences. The outward evidences. These are what define you. These are what, these are what identify you. As a child of the living God. Let us pray. Our Father we come before you tonight. And Father we're so, we're so unworthy. I think about. I often Lord think about. The day you saved my soul. And how. How unworthy. How unworthy, Lord. And none of us here can boast of, of our worth in your presence. But Father, you loved us, you saved us, you've called us into your service. And you've given us these great truths that we can cling to, the inward evidences that we are your children, and the outward evidences that witness of your grace and mercy to all those around us.
So I pray, Lord, that we would take this simple outline that was given today and we would expound upon it and we would, we would study and we would dig into the scripture and, Lord, learn of all these great truths and all these things that we must do. I pray tonight for Pastor Smith and for Pam. And Lord, we, we love them so much. We need them so much. And we, we ask, Father, that your grace would reach out to them and would comfort them in, in this and in, in, in the future problems that they'll face with Pam's health. And, and Lord, just, just give us the strength and the courage to, to help them and, and support them in all these things. And Lord, we know that your will is supreme and we know that you have a will and you have a purpose and a plan in all these things. And we trust you, Lord. And we don't question you. We just ask, Father, that you help us to accept and fulfill your will in all things. Thank you for all that we're here tonight. Thank you for the word that was preached. And we just ask that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would empower us to glorify you in all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bbaptist.org.